Good afternoon, and thank you for attending today's HubSpot Q1 Fiscal Year 2023 Earnings Conference Call. My name is Danielle, and I will be the moderator for today's call. All lines will be muted during the presentation portion of the call with an opportunity for questions and answers at the end. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. It is now my pleasure to hand the conference over to our host, Chuck McGlashing, Head of Investor Relations. Mr. McGlashing, you may proceed. Thanks, operator. Good afternoon and welcome to HubSpot's first quarter 2023 earnings conference call. Today, we'll be discussing the results announced in the press release that was issued after the market closed. With me on the call this afternoon is Yamini Rangan, our Chief Executive Officer, Dharmesh Shah, our Co-Founder and CTO, and Kate Buecher, our Chief Financial Officer. Before we start, I'd like to draw your attention to the safe harbor statement included in today's press release. During this call, we'll make statements related to our business that may be considered forward-looking within the meaning of Section 27A of the Securities Exchange Act of 1933 as amended, and Section 21E of the Securities Exchange Act of 1934 as amended. All statements other than statements of historical fact are forward-looking statements, including those regarding management's expectations of future financial and operational performance and operational expenditures, the expected impact of the restructuring, expected growth, FX movement, and business outlook, including our financial guidance for the second fiscal quarter and full year 2023. Forward-looking statements reflect our views only as of today, and is accepted is required by law, we undertake no obligation to update or revise these forward-looking statements. Please refer to the cautionary language in today's press release and our Form 10-Q, which will be filed with the SEC this afternoon for a discussion of the risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results that differ materially from expectations. During the course of today's call, we'll refer to certain non-GAAP financial measures as defined by Regulation G. The GAAP financial measure most directly comparable to each non-GAAP financial measure user discussed and a reconciliation of the differences between such measures can be found within our first quarter 2023 earnings press release in the Invest Relations section of our website. Now, it's my pleasure to turn over the call to HubSpot's Chief Executive Officer, Yamini Rangan. Yamini? Thank you so much, Chuck, and welcome to everyone joining us on the call. Today, I wanna to focus on our start to 2023, share observations on the current macro environment, and provide some perspective on what generative AI means for HubSpot and our customers. Let's start with our Q1 results. We had a solid start to the year with revenue growing 30% in constant currency year over year. We delivered more than four points of margin expansion year over year, bringing operating margins to over 13%. Total customers grew by 23% to over 177,000 customers globally, fueled by net customer additions of over 9,900 in the quarter. I'm pleased with our momentum coming into the year and the focused execution by the HubSpot team. These results show that our product innovation is in high gear and that our bimodal go-to-market strategy is working. Our focus with our bimodal strategy remains clear. We want to drive volume at the lower end of the market while driving increased value up market. In Q1, we continue to gain momentum in both segments of the market. On the lower end, we saw a significant uptick in our net customer additions. This was driven by strength in free signups and pricing optimization plays we ran in our starter edition. In addition to that, HubSpot is powerful yet easy to use 
and we are increasingly becoming the platform of choice for scaling companies. Looking up market, we continue to see our multi-hub value proposition resonating. More professional and enterprise customers are starting with multiple hubs, and over 45% of our ARR install base is now on three or more hubs. Upmarket customers are increasingly looking for two things, a single source of truth that provides full visibility across their entire customer journey and clear cost savings in this environment. HubSpot's connected platform delivers both. Specifically, Sales Hub continued to gain momentum in Q1 as customers look to build tighter alignment between marketing and sales to drive more efficiency across the front office. Take Liquidity Services, a B2B e-commerce marketplace as an example. After adopting Sales Hub and Marketing Hub, they were able to eliminate eight other tools, reducing their overall cost by 50%. They were able to connect their marketing and sales data to get better insights and drive an increase in their conversions and campaign effectiveness. This is a great example of our customers driving growth with multi-hub while saving time and budget. We also saw Operations Hub come up in more deals as customers focused on consolidation. They see the clear value of a solution that can connect systems, automate processes, and demonstrate value, especially in this economic environment. In fact, over two-thirds of our top 25 deals closed in Q1 adopted Ops Hub. Leveraging multiple hubs boosts efficiency, and I'm excited by the value our customers are seeing from our connected platform. As you can see, our bimodal strategy is working, and we will continue to maintain our pace of product innovation. Next, I want to shift gears and share what we're seeing in the macro environment. Overall, we continue to operate in a tough environment, and we're not out of the woods yet. While we see our top of funnel activity improving, sales cycles remain long, and budgets remain under scrutiny. Decisions by committee have become the norm, with multiple executives involved in sales cycles. It is clear based on my conversations with customers that they're continuing to tighten their belts in terms of budgets, and we can see this in optimization across seats, contact tiers, and portals. Decision makers are focused on budget optimization and continue to spend cautiously. Now, despite these challenges, we have a solid playbook for executing and drive on product innovation and consistent execution. On the product side, we're cranking. One of our strategic objectives is to become the market share leader in marketing, sales, and service for scaling companies, and we remain focused on delivering depth of features in order to get there. In Q1, with Marketing Hub, we moved customer journey analytics to general availability and the strong adoption and usage we're seeing gives me confidence that we are driving meaningful innovation that serves marketeers' needs today. With Sales Hub, we significantly enhance the sequences tools for upmarket customers with selective threading and advanced permissioning. And we moved generative AI email functionality to beta. We also launched a key service hub enterprise feature with multiple knowledge bases. This has been a top product request from upmarket customers who need to be able to support various audiences, products, or brands. 
And in payments and commerce, we introduced scheduled subscriptions and moved payable invoices to private beta. I'm thrilled with the progress we are making on our journey to become the number one CRM for scaling companies. On the go-to-market side, our strategy has been to focus on total cost of ownership for customers and communicating the value of HubSpot. Our quick time to value and connected platform message is clearly resonating as customers look to become more effective and efficient. We're driving enablement across both our direct and partner channels, and we are keenly focused on value-centric conversations. Looking ahead, we'll continue to navigate this macro environment by following our playbook to drive product innovation and consistent, strong execution. Now, I wanna double click on innovation and share how we're thinking about generative AI and why we are well positioned to add even more value for our customers. We are in the early stages of a transformative shift. Generative AI is rapidly changing the landscape in three fundamental ways. It helps businesses generate content, generate insights, and generate code, all using natural language. This will be a massive opportunity for SMBs and scaling companies. Activities that once took them time, money, and deep expertise no longer do with Gen AI. And the shift will enable SMBs to reach more customers, serve them at record speed with unprecedented relevance. So what does this really mean for marketing sales and service professionals? In the simplest terms, we believe AI will guide go-to-market teams and make them more effective this will fuel a new era of AI-guided growth for our customers. When we bring together the power of foundational models with the deep contextual data in HubSpot CRM, we can help go-to-market teams drive better results. Marketeers can use Gen AI to guide them in creating more effective blog posts, email campaigns, and social content. Salespeople can use it to guide them to write better prospecting emails and deliver more relevant insights for customers. And service professionals can use Gen AI to anticipate customer needs, suggest resolutions, and offer proactive support. We believe AI won't replace go-to-market teams. It will guide them to drive better outcomes. While there will be efficiency benefits, we're even more excited about effectiveness gains and the ability to drive guided growth for customers. While we are in the early stages of Gen AI, HubSpot has unique differentiators. First, we have unique data and broad distribution. HubSpot CRM data is unified and cohesive, making it easier for AI to ingest and drive relevance. Second, we're at the center of our customers' workflows. HubSpot is where work gets done, so we can bring relevance to generate content and insights across the entire front office. We're not another AI point solution. We are an all-in-one CRM platform powered by AI. Third, we've always had a human-centric approach and companies with a human feedback loop are at an advantage with AI. We made a ton of progress in Q1 with the launches of Content Assistant in public beta and ChatSpot in public alpha. Since our launch in March, we've had over 40,000 users sign up for ChatSpot 
and the early feedback has been very positive. Content Assistant has thousands of users to date, and we are seeing customers leveraging it daily for creating marketing emails, blog posts, landing pages, and more. We're ambitiously integrating AI across our entire CRM platform, so our customers don't have to become AI experts to reap the transformational benefits. I'm incredibly excited that the opportunity AI is creating to deliver even more value for our customers. Reflecting on the quarter, I'm pleased with the progress we made on our path to becoming the CRM platform of choice for scaling companies. Our teams maintained the pace of product innovation and drove strong execution, which was just fantastic to see. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kate to take you through Q1 results in more detail. Thanks, Yamini. Let's turn to our Q1 2023 financial results. Revenue grew 30% year-over-year in constant currency and 27% on an as-reported basis. Subscription revenue grew 27% year-over-year, while services and other revenue increased 12% on an as-reported basis. Domestic revenue grew 27% year-over-year, while international revenue growth was 33% in constant currency and 26% as reported. International revenue represented 46% of total revenue. We added over 9,900 net new customers in the quarter, bringing our total customer count to over 177,000, up 23% year-over-year. Starter customer acquisition continued to fuel our strong net ads again in Q1. Average subscription revenue per customer grew 6% year-over-year in constant currency and 3% on an as-reported basis to $11,400. Our ASRPC growth was driven by continued multi-hub adoption by our professional and enterprise customers, offset by the large volume of starter customers we added at the low end of our bimodal strategy. Gross retention remained healthy in the high 80s for the quarter. Net revenue retention was 104%, down three points sequentially, driven by further customer optimization of HubSpot spend as well as slower expansion across seats, contact tiers, and portals. While we expect pressure on net revenue retention in the near term to persist, we continue to believe we can maintain net revenue retention above 100%. Calculated billings were $533 million in the quarter, growing 28% year-over-year in constant currency and 26% as reported. The remainder of my comments will refer to non-GAAP measures. Operating margin was 13%, up four points compared to the year-ago period. Operating margins benefited from their structuring actions we implemented at the end of January, which impacted our headcount and facilities costs, including a temporary pause in overall hiring in Q1. Net income was $62 million, or $1.20 per fully diluted share. Free cash flow was $85 million, or 17% of revenue, and our cash and marketable securities totaled $1.6 billion at the end of March. And with that, let's review our guidance for the second quarter and full year of 2023. As Yamini highlighted, we continue to operate in a difficult macro environment with customer behavior that is similar to what we saw in the second half of 2022. Budgets are tight, Decision by committee have become the norm, and customers are spending cautiously on new products 
while looking for ways to optimize existing spend. Our guidance assumes that these weak macroeconomic conditions persist throughout 2023. For the second quarter, total as reported revenue is expected to be in the range of $503 to $505 million, up 19% year-over-year at the midpoint. We expect foreign exchange to be about a point of headwind to as-reported revenue growth in the quarter. Non-GAAP operating profit is expected to be between $54 and $56 million. Non-GAAP diluted net income per share is expected to be between $0.98 cents and $1. This assumes 52.4 million fully diluted shares outstanding. And for the full year of 2023, Total as reported revenue is now expected to be in the range of $2.08 to $2.088 billion, up 20% year-over-year at the midpoint. Non-GAAP operating profit is now expected to be between $275 and $279 million. We now expect foreign exchange to have a neutral impact to as reported revenue and operating profit margin for the full year of 2023. Non-GAAP diluted net income per share is now expected to be between $4.80 and $4.85. This assumes 52.3 million fully diluted shares outstanding. As you adjust your models, keep in mind the following. We expect CapEx as a percentage of revenue to be roughly 5% and free cash flow to be about $245 million for the full year of 2023 with seasonally stronger free cash flow in Q4. And with that, I will hand things back over to Yamini for her closing remarks. Thank you so much, Kate. I want to close with our commitment to driving durable, profitable growth long-term. Looking ahead, we remain focused on foundational investments that will help us scale. As I shared during our last earnings call, We are doubling down on better development and high performance, better hybrid connection for our people, employees all over the world, and better systems and automation internally. These initiatives will enable us to drive more efficiency long-term and deliver even more value for our customers. I believe we have the right strategy and the right team to navigate this environment and emerge stronger. I want to thank our customers our employees, our partners, and our shareholders for the continued support on this journey. With that, operator, let's open up the call for questions. Certainly. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. We would ask that you limit yourself to one question. The first question comes from the line of Keith Bachman of BMO. Please proceed. Hi, many thanks and congrats on a solid quarter and guide. I wanted to to focus my question on generative AI. You talked about some of the activities and certainly enjoyed Dharmesh's video uh, some time ago, but I wanted to hear how do you plan on monetizing it uh, as you look out over the horizon? So is it a a skew? Is it a pricing activity? Um, How do you think about monetization? And as part of that is, when do you think uh, some of these activities will be moved from uh, beta to production environments? In other words, when might investors uh, begin to see the benefits of AI 
uh, in your financial results. Many thanks. Hey, Keith, uh, thanks a lot for your question. This is Yamini. Uh, we're excited about generative AI. It is uh, very transformative. And if you kind of like step back, HubSpot got started uh, when there was a fairly big shift that was happening in how people buy. And that led to us coming up and helping customers on how to market and sell. And we think generative AI is as transformative. And this is going to really cause our customers to think about how they market and sell. And so we think there is a lot of exciting potential. Um, in terms of the monetization question, we have a very clear first principle when it comes to monetization. We focus on delivering customer value first. And from there on, monetization will follow. And we think that this is pretty early days in terms of monetizing. Having said that, we're iterating fast. We are getting tons of feedback, especially with ChatSpot as well as content assistant that we just talked about. And we are improving these use cases so we can continue to innovate for our customers and really help them get much more value with this transformative technology. Uh, as we do this, some of the features are just going to become table stakes. They'll just be part of our core product and part of how we drive customer engagement and adoption within the core product. Now, if there are more specialized use cases, then maybe it goes into higher value addition, the longer term. And that's how we're thinking about monetization. First, we want to focus on delivering value for the product. You asked the last question, which was, when do we plan to get this into the hands of customers? Well, you know, we launched pretty quickly within the market in March. It's uh, alpha and beta. We're getting a lot of the feedback. And the teams are pretty excited. We are having a lot of hackathons internally. And there's a long list of use cases that our teams are working on. So I think you'll see us uh, maintain and even accelerate our pace of innovation where we'll be introducing features uh, in weeks, not uh, months or quarters. So lots of exciting developments here. Mark Murphy of JP Morgan, you may proceed. Thank you. Congrats on the great execution uh, during the quarter. Uh, Yamani, I'm noticing that HubSpot uh, just has such a huge list of free products um, at this point. There's free CRM, free CMS, free form builder. Uh, free, you know, business templates. So much is free, uh, but your margins are expanding uh, despite that. I, I'm wondering if you could comment on just how large and energetic that uh, that on ramp is um, from the from free customers at the at the top of the funnel. And, and then for Kate, um, is it boosting kind of your multi year visibility because it it feels like you have these millions of little seeds. Uh, that are there that are that are kind of just starting to sprout and you can probably project forward and, and look at how it would t turn into revenue. Hey, Mark, I'll get started with the question, the heart of our strategy. You know, when, when HubSpot got started, we had this deep conviction that we want to add as much value for our customers as possible and continue as well as scaling businesses. And the free tools is really part of that strategy to get the widest possible top of the funnel. And by the way, the free tools have a ton of value. I mean, you talked about free CMS, uh, you know, that adds a lot of value in a 
company getting a digital presence and getting started. There are a number of other growth tools, and that's clearly the strategy. And, uh, you know, tying this maybe to something that I just talked about, which is the bimodal strategy. When you have a really wide funnel, which is what three tools like this create, then, you know, we work to continue to deliver value. And so the number of starter customers and the conversion from free sign-ups sign to paid customers increases. And we've been looking at this over the past few quarters. We're very happy with how that conversion continues to happen. And then even from our starter customers, how they continue to get value in terms of pro and enterprise. So it's really our strategy for delivering value that's at work. And Kate, maybe you want to address the second part of the question there. Yeah, sure thing. Um, thanks, Mark. I think there's a lot of reasons to really love the strategy of our product-led growth. I would not say that increased visibility over the long term is one of them for business life cycle. And, you know, we think it creates a lot of um, interesting dynamics over and above just the economics, which I can talk about. Um, you know, it creates a nice moat, uh, a competitive moat for us against uh, low-end disruption it also enhances pretty dramatically the value of our overall platform just based on the scale of customers uh, at the low end. Now, some portion of those starter customers will upgrade to pro and enterprise over time. I think you already know that. Um, oftentimes that happens with a bit of a uh, faster sales cycle that we also like that will drive our growth over time. Thank you. The next question comes from Samad Samana of Jeffries. You may proceed. Hi. Uh, great quarter, guys. Um, Yamini, I, I feel like for the last couple, you've talked a lot more about top market customers, and I think Sales Up has been a, an integral part of that, and the maturity of the product seems to be really unlocking this, this kind of next year of customer size. I'm just curious if you think that that's an even bigger consumer that you've been talking more and more about. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, you know, we're really happy with Sales Hub as well as what it, Hub is a billion plus, uh, you know, kind of product line that's got the ability to go to multi-billion and Sales Hub is a 500 million plus business that can go into Sales Hub. We've been on this steady march over the past few years to build the functionality that a true upmarket business needs to have as a system of record. And I think we've reached that point. We have hit that critical mass for an upmarket customer. We are a viable alternative to other legacy enterprise options within the door to HubSpot. And this is a couple of reasons, right? On the product side, we're now serving larger customers and more sophisticated use cases. The steady drums all aimed at expanding are upmarket TAM, and these are custom objects and CRM customization, deeper permissioning, uh, more features for admin. All of quarters, we're also adding our ability to serve more sophisticated use cases, right? I just talked about sequencing. That's something upmarket customers have needed much more ability to do. In addition to that sales intelligence forecasting, all of these are areas within the product. So. Huge kudos to the product team for keeping the pace of innovation that serves upmarket customers really well. 
in addition to that, our go-to-market side, the investments that we have made in upskilling our reps, as well as the partner ecosystem is working every single day. So it's very easy for them to show a sales hub demo and how that actually works with marketing hub and drives their own productivity. And partners are very much enrolled in this journey of us uh, going up market. So, you know, look, the, the momentum really comes down to meeting the needs of our customers in this moment. And we're very happy with what we're seeing and how we're. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Elizabeth Porter of Morgan Stanley. You may proceed. Great. Thank you so much. I wanted to hit on the the incremental demand is coming from, kind of beyond that initial expectation for around 7000 a quarter. So are you seeing HubSpot actually displace other vendors, or is there still a lot of greenfield deployments, you know, at the low end that you're landing? You know, and second, just how durable is this trend? Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth. I think in general, um, these are really than um, we are also continuing to test pricing optimization levers uh, as we do, frankly, on a regular basis, um, and that is also working. Um, that said, like Q1 always has tended to be seasonally strong. Uh, I do not expect that we're going to stay at 9,000 customer ads, uh, but we do feel good about net ads continuing to remain strong. Uh, I would advise seven to 8,000 range over the next couple of quarters, uh, with the biggest variable there being um, how the starter additions behave. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Josh Riley of Needham & Company. Please proceed. Hey there. Thank you. What's the sense of how the direct versus the partner business is performing um, over the last couple quarters here? I think last year you made the comment that the partner business was performing uh, stronger. And thank you. Hey, Josh. Thank you for the question. Uh, this is Yamini. The, both uh, direct and partner are executing as planned. Uh, we've you know shared in the past that our strategy with the partner ecosystem is we want to be able to scale both selling as well as servicing with partners. And we have really transitioned from being a marketing automation company to a CRM platform. We've really spent a lot of time as well as energy and efforts with our partners to bring them along that journey. And that strategy is working. So as you look at like Q1, uh, the partner ecosystem performed well. Uh, when you talk to partners, I know many of you talk to partners and as well as uh, leading us a little bit up market. So they are helping us in that journey. And there's a, just a lot more joint co-selling. And if you step back, environment make decisions, they want uh, high returns and low risk. And therefore, jointly executing with partners and having clear migration implementation and change. So there's, a, there's still the healthy balance of about 40% of our install base coming from um, uh, our partners and the rest is from our direct and both our. Thank you. The next question comes from Rishi Jaloria of RBC. Please proceed. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking my. I wanted to ask another generative AI question and, and kind of go back. You have to do in your prepared remarks. You talked about the ability for people to, you know, businesses to use generative AI on the back end to generate code. Uh, I want to think about from your perspective, 
how do you see your ability to use generative AI maybe to iterate features and functionality faster and, and potentially narrow the gap with spot, but some of those features and functionality may be missing. Just how should we be thinking about that? Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the question, Richard. This is Dharmesh. Um, so a couple of things on generative AI with HubSpot framework. Um, that gives us two things. It gives us kind of short-term speed to market um, because all of our product teams can now benefit from the uh, generative AI features we're building in the core platform. But we think it has wide applicability across the entire suite of application hubs within HubSpot. So that's what gets us to be um, really excited. And one thing that kind of gives us an advantage in terms of um, versus other companies is that, you know, HubSpot grew is cohesively stored and normalized. And this becomes very, very important because in order to kind of get the value from generative AI, you need to be able to kind of use the existing data that you have. It's not about having tend to provide context to generative AI models to say, oh, we know which web page drew this customer in. We know how many times they interacted with us. We know if they have a support ticket and service hub or not. We know exactly all the sales interactions we have. We can take all of that context and use it for the generative AI model. Uh, and one of the benefits to uh, companies like HubSpot that has this kind of very rapid iteration, get something in the hands of users, is I believe, and the team believes, feedback and have a very tight feedback loop are the ones that win. So what we think generative AI levels the playing field in terms of the incumbents that are there, and we think HubSpot is uniquely positioned to kind of benefit from generative AI given our organic colors. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Gabriella Borges of Goldman Sachs. You may proceed. Of AI topic, either for Dharmesh or for Yamini, I wanted to follow up on your comments on leveling the playing field. Do you think over the longer term this leads to less to ask directly about the trade-off between efficiency and effectiveness? What are your thoughts on the potential bear case on if marketing people and salespeople become more productive and how beats go down while you're monetizing incremental functionality on the way up, if that makes sense? Thank you. Great questions, uh, Gabriella. Thanks for that. Maybe I'll start, and then Dharmesh, uh, certainly feel free to join here. Um, we do think of it as leveling the playing field, especially for SMBs. So taking powerful technology, sophisticated technology, and democratizing that for SMBs, and uh, that's exactly what we are trying to do with generative AI by experts sitting, and we want to be able to bring it in with the same power and ease of use. And that will allow our, you know, customers to really compete effectively within the long term, or maybe even the next three to five years, what happens with a lot of the jobs. Uh, from our perspective, you know, some jobs are going to become less relevant and more automated at the same bill. It's a little too early to predict longer term. Having said that, uh, our belief is that AI will not replace humans, but humans who use AI will replace humans use AI much better. And that's exactly what you're seeing in terms of our strategy. The first stage of our strategy is to help people to drive better outcomes, a lot more in terms of assistance and chat spot, and that's empowering our customers to drive better outcomes, not just like save time. And the next stage is really taking generative AI and really uh, making it about it from a framework perspective. It's uh, like one of our primary colors and repeatable tasks can be commoditized and the real value is going to come from that last mile of going to drive to better outcomes 
uh, for you know everybody within the front office. Darmesh, anything else that you'd want to add? Yeah, one thing I'd add just in terms of the kind of the long-term view on, on generative AI overall. You know, right now, kind of 90 95% of the attention calories are in use cases where we take uh, natural language and convert them to something that a human is going to consume. Uh, via a blog post, opportunity for companies like HubSpot is actually using natural language prompts and generative models to create code, things meant for computers. So we can look at examples like creating a report definition in HubSpot, creating a custom workflow action um, only accessible to uh, like a small percentage of the users within the company, and we can expand that now so that a larger portion of people can generate sophisticated reports, can write custom workflow actions, can do data cleansing and all these things. So we're just very excited about that kind of ability to kind of democratize and make things easy, which is what HubSpot's always been known for. Thank you. And on behalf of the management team, our next question is from the line of Brent Bracelin of Piper Sandler. You may proceed. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, obviously, really impressed here. Obviously, uh, pretty challenging backdrop. I wanted to ask maybe a longer-term question around vendor consolidation, which feels like there's a longer-term tailwind here. You, you talked about to, uh, uh, you know the the combo of sales hub and, and marketing hub. Where are we at in that in that cross hub um, uh, cross sell opportunity? Um, given the volume uh, increases we're seeing at the at the low end with starter, but it feels like longer term there's an opportunity. So could you just address vendor consolidation? How meaningful can that be as a tailwind? Looking it's a it's a great question, and I do think this is a longer trend, uh, term trend that we are beginning to see. And uh, maybe if you kind of like step back and think about the last couple of years that our customers have come from, uh, our customers, you know, took a couple of different paths. Either they had a lot of point solutions, which become really hard to be able to manage both from a cost as well as the complexity of uh, the overall stack perspective, or they went with maybe legacy to a corner. And when I talk to customers now, uh, they want something that is powerful, that is simple, that provides you know the entire visibility across their customers. Do all of that. This is why you know the trends in terms of customer addition, even in the current ma uh, macro kind of like backdrop, is not surprising because uh, it is you know, uh, very clear that we are becoming a platform for SMBs as well as scaling companies. Now, you asked the question of um, how does this lay out? It's very early days. It, it, when we look at our install base as well as when we talk to prospects, it's pretty early days in this type of consolidation. And we want to build the best-in-class marketing value for customers. And so we're going to keep the pace of product innovation. And I think that uh, we still have long way to go in terms of uh, seeing this consolidation play through. Question comes from the line of Brad Sills of Bank of America. You may proceed. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for taking my question. Great start to the year here. Um, I wanted to ask about Operations Hub. Uh, Yamini, you called it out as an area of strength. We're certainly hearing that from the channel. Would love to get your perspective. To me, this seems like the platform. You're running you know, two or more hubs. You need the glue to, to automate workflow across different hubs using Operations Hubs. Is that why you're starting to see the success now with Operations Hub? In other words, you're getting to the point where customers are running, you know, more customers are running two or more hubs. They need that glue strength. 
I love this question, Brad, and you actually gave the answer. You hit it on the head. Uh, it is that we are seeing a macro-driven front office unification that brings together, you know, marketing, sales, other hubs, but gives the value, right? I mean, if you really think about what it does, it brings data from multiple sources. It's able to automate, like, workflows and deliver better insights from just more uh, sophisticated data sets. And so you hit the nail on the head in terms of why operations hub is seeing um, in attraction. Maybe a couple more points of color uh, in terms of how our product efforts as well as go-to-market efforts have been in this area. We have expanded value for our customers, particularly around some major updates to operations hub capability particularly around data quality and portability. And you may remember us, you know, talking about data quality with our pro and enterprise customers. In addition to that, we've also ramped up our own enablement uh, efforts around advanced capabilities. Now, selling technical product always difficult. By the way, custom code actions in workflows is like one of my absolute favorite new features in OpsHub. So much value for customers. But one of the things that we have done is like continue to enable our direct teams and partners to showcase the value of these sophisticated features. And so uh, it's still super early innings in terms of operations hub, but it's on an exciting path. Thank you. The next question is from the line of Alex Zukin of Wolf Research. You may proceed. That's on a great quarter. So my question is around retention. At 104% this quarter, it did decelerate faster than last quarter. And with the environment still tough, what's your level of confidence that it can stay above 100%? And if that is the expectation, how are you thinking about when it could normalize? Thanks. Yes, uh, thanks very much for the question. Um, I think we've talked about this in the past. There's really two types of retention or two pieces of retention that we pay a lot of attention to internally. Uh, gross retention that we refer to as customer dollar uh, and uh, we continue to see general stability in customer dollar retention in the high 80s. Uh, we expect that gross retention is going to hang in in that zone for the, the rest of 2023. In contacts and seats, uh, we are also seeing some of our multi-portal customers now leveraging some of the upmarket features to consolidate their portals uh, in HubSpot environments. Thank you. The next question comes from Ken Wong of Oppenheimer. You may proceed. Great quarter. You characterize the, the, the macro environment as kind of not better but not worse. As you as you exit Q1, uh, what, I guess what's the what's the right thinking in terms of what's baked into the outlook? Yeah, um, thanks for the question. You know, I, I tried to share in my prepared remarks a, a bit of color around uh, just that. The external environment really does remain difficult, and we assume that it remains difficult throughout 2023. Um, that said, you know, as you know, we've approached guidance in a very consistent way. We did the same thing uh, in Q1 and really tried to – our baseline assumption is that the remainder of 2023 feels like Q1. It feels like the back half of last year. You know, it's still early in the year, uh, and the external environment has been really volatile. FX has been very volatile, uh, and we want to deliver against guidance uh, with that baseline assumption or even if things get a little bit worse. 
from the line of Michael Turin of Wells Fargo. You may proceed. Hey there. Uh, thanks. I uh, appreciate you taking the question. And look, there are so many good big picture questions I'd like to ask, but um, I'll, I'll, I'll go into a metrics question instead because it's something we're getting some questions on. There are some moving pieces in, in terms of currency with respect to the results and, and the change in assumptions on the guide. Um, and so if we look at the Q1 number and the change in currency for the rest of the year, it looks like the uh, second half constant currency assumptions for revenue might actually um, come down a touch on a constant currency basis. So I just want to understand if that interpretation is accurate and maybe just help us split out the currency movements versus just any fundamental change in, in what you're thinking through and contemplating with the uh, rest of your guidance. Obviously, great job across the board on the Q1 results. Just uh, looking for some clarity there. Thanks. Yeah, same despite the challenging macro. And, you know, as you point out, we raised the full year by the full amount of the Q1 beat, which I think does speak to the confidence that we have in the business. Um, but as you heard from both Yamini and I, the macro remains challenging. It's very volatile, including FX. Uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Um, and on top of that, we're still early in the year. Uh, and, you know, our philosophy on guidance remains the same. You know, we're aiming to put out guidance uh, that we have a high degree of confidence in being able to achieve um, across a variety of scenarios. Thank you. The next question comes from Brian Peterson of Raymond James. You may proceed. Quarter. Um, so, so I wanted to unpack uh, what's driving the average revenue per customer hire. I know we, we kind of hit on that a little bit. But it's just amazing to see the net ads and that figure still up 3% year over year. So is, is the cross-sell sales cycles in the enterprise, are, are those actually getting better? Or, or the vendor consolidation or ROI for customers? You know, I'd love to just maybe understand what's happening up market. Yeah, thank you um, again for that one. Um, there's really two things happening in ASRPC. Right, we continue to see multi-hub adoption broadly across our professional and enterprise customers, and that is offset by sort of the volume that we are seeing at the low end. If we just look at professional and enterprise, ASRPC continued to be up double digits in constant currency in Q1. It's the headwind from the volume of starter customers that is moving the ASRPC from that sort of double-digit level to 6%. Thank you. The next question comes from Arjun Battier of William Blair. You may proceed. Uh, perfect. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Um, Kate, maybe another one from you, uh, for you. I'm just trying to reconcile a little bit the comment about upgrades still happening, right? Customers wanting more capabilities, more features, versus there still being some headwinds around optimization seats, contacts, et cetera. Is there any kind of characteristics amongst those customers that you can point out uh, a specific vertical um, or a specific customer size to one versus the other? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. These are not new trends for us. We've been seeing the same type of pressure and dynamics within our customer base over the last quarters, and what we are seeing is a focus spot. Well, I don't believe we're alone in that, and that for us comes in the form of them cleaning up their contacts, you know, cleaning up unused seats, 
Um, it comes in the fact in consolidating when they're on multiple portals, consolidating using all the features that they have signed up for. Um, that doesn't mean that our customers are continuing to use more of our, we're doing the cleanup in conjunction with the expansion. Thank you. The next question comes from Parker Lane of Stiefel. You may proceed. Yeah, hi, thanks for taking the question. Uh, circling back to the partner ecosystem, Yamini, I know you made some changes there earlier this year around compensation levels with partners and what they need to do to continue um, you know, their relationship financially with HubSpot. Um, you want them selling and servicing partners. Do you explain 24? Um, and then, you know, what, what exactly are you guys doing behind the scenes to upskill those partners to get them um, in a position to be uh, more effectively servicing the customer base? Thanks. Hey, Parker. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for the question. Uh, I think uh, maybe two parts there. I'll first start with the changes that we made and then answer the second part of the question. I'm really pleased with the response from uh, the partner channel. And since the announcement and even before the announcement, I've spent a lot of time talking to our you know, partners to step back. We uh, really looked at our partner commissions and we are incentivizing our partners to have more consistent engagement with our customers, uh, to sell and co-sell more with us and to do more multi-hub. And uh, the partners understand the why behind the change and we're all that we made are going to be a win for customers and therefore good for partners as well as HubSpot. And um, at the margin, we're actually seeing some of the partners increase their engagement with our customers. Do we think it's going to lead to some level of consolidation? How do we enable the partners? Uh, I, I think it, it will. And the, it's not necessarily because of the commission's changes. But it's because we are moving up market and we are guiding our partners to be able to scale to better serve the needs of definitely beginning to notice that partners are uh, either already consolidating or figuring out ways to scale. And therefore, you know, the percentage from elite partners from top partners is probably going to increase as we continue the transition to you know, uh, driving multi-hub as well as serving the needs of upmarket customers. And uh, our focus journey to enroll them, uh, to drive more certifications. There's an upcoming certification week that's coming up for partners, and we're putting a lot behind that. And we'll continue to drive the level of uh, technical capabilities within the partner ecosystem. Overall, um, really happy with the response and where our partner ecosystem is going. Thank you. The next question comes from Terry Tillman of Truist. You may proceed. Great. Thanks so much for taking the question and uh, congrats on the quarter. This is Bobby Dion for Terry's. Thanks. Hey, Bobby. Uh, thanks a lot for that. Overall, uh, fairly consistent in terms of what we are seeing in North America, as well as 46% of our overall base and growing you know, reasonably well, there is not that much of a divergence in terms of the trends. You know, what we see in terms of the longer deal cycles and, and uh, what we see in terms of the reasons why our customers uh, want, you know, HubSpot is also consistent. We deliver 
you know, quick time to value, which is what is important across all customers. And most of the time, value is a matter of weeks, not months or, you know, quarters. And customers really care about uh, their a lot more platform consolidation and multi-hub conversations, both in regional as well as international markets. And uh, there's kind of a high bar to action across all customers, but we are executing uh, in both markets with consistency. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Mike. Hey, thanks for the question. Great quarter. Uh, I wanted to ask about the move up market and how you're pushing from the direct channel, the direct uh, Salesforce perspective. Uh, this is a year in which you're doing in terms of investing, investing in the direct sales channel to try and drive more engagement and how are you managing the costs on that? Yeah, uh, thanks a lot for the question. Maybe, uh, Kate, feel free to add in terms of the costs um, there. Uh, if, if we step back and think about why upmarket is working and what is upmarket for HubSpot, we're still very, very focused on the two to 2,000 employee segment. And for us, upmarket is the 200 to 2,000 employee segment. And if we think about customers there, and they care deeply about navigating the macro uh, while driving resilient growth. And HubSpot helps with both of those. We are powerful, uh, and that's what is resonating within upmarket. As we've thought about our own sales teams and internally driving the efficiency, we've, we've talked about this. We are driving, we are arming them with the right kinds of total cost of ownership as well as value messaging. Uh, this is the tight, tightest level of alignment I have seen between product, marketing, and sales in terms of the key messages that we are delivering, and our teams are very, very focused. And so I think uh, from an internal standpoint, systems, automation, messaging, consistent execution there. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of Taylor McGinnis of UBS. You may proceed. Quarter. The, the one Q margin performance was really strong, particularly sequentially. So are you able to break that down and quantify the drivers of the uplift, lift, like how much was from the restructuring your margin trajectory and the durability of the progress that we're seeing? Yeah, Taylor, it was a really good question. Um, our, the margin upside in Q1 versus our expectation is primarily related to the restructuring. So revenue came in a little bit better than expectations on some favorable FX rates. Um, but we frankly underestimated the impact the restructuring would have on our overall hiring plans and resulted in really a delay in returning to our regularly planned hiring cadence. Uh, that said, we're feeling really good about where we are now. Normal seasonal pattern in our operating margins for this, from this point on through 2023. Q2 margins are going to decline slightly. Um, it's a typical sequential pattern for us, investment in hiring uh, as well as some hybrid connections. Uh, that said, we will expect that operating margins are going to expand through the back half of the year uh, with low double digits in Q3 and high teens in Q4 consistent with what we provided last quarter. Thank you. And with that, we will conclude our time of questioning. Yamini Rangan. CEO for any closing remarks.
Thank you so much for all the engaged questions as well as the support. Look forward to connecting back again in a few months. And with that, we will conclude today's call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect your line.